In Judges 18, we have the contagion of satanic idolatry spreading from Micah's house to an entire tribe, the tribe of Dan. Here now the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word, profitable for us, Judges 18, starting at verse 1. In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in. For unto that day all their inheritance had not befallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. And the children of Dan sent of their family five men from their coasts, men of valor, from Zorah and from Eshtaol, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said unto them, Go search the land, who, when they came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, they lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite. And they turned in thither and said unto him, Who brought thee hither? And what makest thou in this place? And what hast thou here? And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealeth Micah with me, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. And they said unto him, Ask counsel, we pray thee, of God, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. And the priest said unto them, Go in peace, before the Lord is your way wherein ye go. Then the five men departed and came to Laish, and saw the people that were therein, how they dwelt careless, after the manner of the Zidonians, quiet and secure. And there was no magistrate in the land that might put them to shame in anything, for they were far from the Zidonians, and had no business with any man. And they came unto their brethren to Zorah and Eshtaol, and their brethren said unto them, What say ye? And they said, Arise, that we may go up against them. For we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And are ye, are, are ye still? Be not slothful to go and to enter to possess the land. When ye go, ye shall come unto a people secure and to a large land. For God hath given it into your hands, a place where there is no want of anything that is in the earth. And there went from thence of the families of, family of the Danites out of Zorah and out of Eshtaol, 600 men appointed with weapons of war. And they went up and pitched in Kiriath-Jearim in Judah. Wherefore they called that place Mahane-Dan unto this day. Behold, it is behind Kiriath-Jearim. And they passed thence unto Mount Ephraim and came unto the house of Micah. Then answered the five men that went to spy out the country of Laish, and said unto their brethren, Do ye know that there is in these houses an ephod, and teraphim, and a graven image, and a molten image? Now therefore consider what ye have to do. And they turned thitherward, and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even unto the house of Micah, and saluted him. And the six hundred men appointed with their weapons of war, which were of the children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. 
And the five men that went to spy out the land went up and came in thither and took the graven image and the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. And the priest stood in the entering of the gate with the 600 men that were appointed with weapons of war. And these went into Micah's house and fetched the carved image, the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. Then said the priest unto them, What do ye? And they said unto him, Hold thy peace, lay thine hand upon thy mouth, and go with us, and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for thee to be a priest unto the house of one man, or that thou be a priest unto a tribe and a family in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod, and the teraphim, and the graven image, and went in the midst of the people. So they turned and departed and put the little ones and the cattle and the carriage before them. And when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men that were in the house near to Micah's house were gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they cried unto the children of Dan. And they turned their faces and said unto Micah, What aileth thee? that thou comest with such a company. And he said, Ye have taken away my gods which I made, and the priest, and ye are gone away. And what have I more? And what is, what is this that ye say unto me, what aileth thee? And the children of Dan said unto him, Let not thy voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon thee, and thou lose thy life with the lives of thy household. And the children of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back unto his house. And they took the things which Micah had made and the priest which he had and came unto Laish, unto a people that were at quiet and secure. And they smote them with the edge of the sword and burnt the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Zidon and they had no business with any man. And it was in the valley that lieth by Beth Rehob and they built a city and dwelt therein. And they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan their father who was born unto Israel. Howbeit the name of the city was Laish at the first and the children of Dan set up the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. And they set them up Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Thus far the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word from Judges 18. Here, verses 1 through 10, we have the sending of the spies from Dan to Laish and their acquaintance with Micah's priest. Notice here in verse 1, the refrain, in those days, there was no king in Israel. The Geneva Bible notes, no ordinary magistrate to punish vice according to God's word. No one to tell them, Hey, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't make this. You shouldn't have this priest. No ephod here. No house of graven images. Now we're to supply the words 
and every man did that which is right in his own eyes. But you notice what it says. The Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in. In other words, that's how they applied the principle of doing what was right in their own eyes. We see that phrase in chapter 17, verse 6, chapter 19, verse 1, and chapter 21, verse 25, or variants on that phrase. No king and everyone does whatever they want. Just as Samson did what was right in his eyes, so everybody does what pleases themselves. It says that they sought them an inheritance to dwell in. Now, this is very ironic. Do you remember in the book of Joshua that all the tribes had their inheritance allotted to them? What are they looking for? Well, they need an inheritance. You notice, what are they doing? They're saying, God, you have given us your word. You have given us an inheritance, but it's not what we want. I want something else, God. Now you can read of their inheritance in Joshua 19, verses 40 through 48. But because they failed to believe in God, they did not inherit the land. Now they want a spurious inheritance. Spurious is something that kind of looks like the real deal, but it's actually fake. It's a fake inheritance that they want because they will not believe God and do what he commands. They will seek for a spurious inheritance and guess what else they'll have? A spurious manner of worship. Unbelieving, disobedient, fake in every way. Now the men they sent to spy out the land are described as being from where? Did you notice? Men of valor from where? Zorah and from Eshtaol. Now this is thick irony. This is the place where Samson had the spirit of God in the context of judges. That's the final judge he mentions right before this. Why? To provoke us to think, why is it that they couldn't inherit? Why couldn't they destroy their adversaries? Why couldn't they dispossess the heathen? Well, it's obvious. They didn't have God's strength. Whereas Samson had the power of God, what did they have the power of? Their own wisdom, their own might, their own valor. They were unbelieving and consequently impotent. That's the context of the book. They're told to go and search out the land. Hadn't they already done this? Hadn't the land been divided by Joshua? Must they now make their own way? I did it my way. That's the theme song of idolatry. I'll do what I want. Let's go search it out. And notice they actually knew this young man, the Levite, verse 3, informs us. Remember, this Levite had been roving the land seeking for some place to work because he wasn't provided for by tithes. He's off to make his fortunes in the world. And apparently he had been in Dan because they knew him. They recognized his voice. So they ask him, okay, who brought thee hither? What makest thou in this place? And what hast thou here? Their inquiry is to sin and iniquity. They have an evil intention for these questions. In other words, this isn't honest well, we just want to know facts. No, they have a goal that is wicked and sinful. So then notice the answer of the priest. He says that Micah hath hired me and I am his priest. 
Now, the word for hire is where we get the name Issachar from. And do you remember how he got the name Issachar? He was hired, his mother had hired Jacob for some mandrakes. And then Jacob impregnated her and she had a son. And so she named him hireling, Issachar. I paid a price and I got to have my man. And then I had this baby. Here, notice, he is a hireling. He serves a belly god. He serves his own appetites. He has the wages of unrighteousness paid to him. As we'll see in 2 Peter 2, Balaam was paid likewise wages of unrighteousness. Now, when men are idolatrous, as the men of Dan are, when they are wicked and disobedient to God, do you think that they will actually repent of their sins or actually turn from their wicked way? No, they have a cover of religion. Notice what they say to the priest. Ask counsel, we pray thee, of whom? Balaam? Chemosh? God, they say. They want to have a form of religion. Look, we ask the priest. Now, is he a legitimate priest? He's a priest of unrighteousness. But they're going to ask the priest, hey, can you pray for us? Please ask God counsel. Now, it's done at man's will. This inquiry is not after God's revealed revelation. Where should they have gone for this kind of information? Well, God had a priesthood, didn't he? He had Urim and Thummim given to the sons of Aaron in Shiloh at this time, but they will not go there. They'll go to this belly God-serving priest. And notice, does he actually inquire of God on their behalf? No. Automatic answer. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Everything's going to be fine. The way in which you go, it'll be fine. The Lord will be there. He's always with his people, right? He loves you unconditionally. That's what they say. Now, what does God say is the way in which you ought to prosper? Let me read to you what God actually says about prosperity. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. What do they want? We want to know, will God prosper us? And we're not going to do anything he says, but please tell us, can we prosper? And what's the answer from him? Well, of course, God will go before you. God loves you guys. He chose your fathers. Everything's great. Everything's fine. But was it? Did they meditate day and night and ask God from his word what they ought to do? Because that's what God said. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. Who doesn't want that? Well, apparently they don't. They want their own way. And so the priest tells them, oh, everything's fine. Go in peace. Go in peace. Everything's great. The Lord, he's right there watching after you. Before the Lord, it's like his face 
is there. His presence is with you. He's watching over you. Oh, God is watching us. He's just watching us because he loves us so much. Even if we don't do anything he says, we're fine. That's turning the grace of God into licentiousness. The wages of unrighteousness are paying off. Go in peace. Everything's fine. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now, by the way, when men do not receive the love of the truth, what does God threaten them with? He threatens them with blinded minds. And do you know one way he does that is he gives them what they want. What do they want? They want their way to prosper. They want this pseudo-inheritance, this lying or false inheritance. They want idolatry and iniquity and the blessing of God, and God blesses them. They do have peace. The way before them is prosperous in a worldly way. They get the city. They get the place they want. There's nobody who fights back against them. They burn the city with fire. You see what God is doing? He's giving them what they want because they have not listened to him. He has turned them over to a reprobate mind and they're going to prosper in their reprobation. They did not receive the love of the truth and now they must pay for it. But it's going to be so easy for them. It's going to be easy in this life. They'll be like their predecessors who dwelt careless after the manner of the Zidonians. This is the inhabitants of Laish. They were quiet and secure. These, this is going to be easy work, in other words. Now, if, children, your parents told you to do something very difficult, a task that would take you several days, and you'd find yourself among the thorns, and it would be prickly and hard, and you wouldn't want to do it, and then you said, well, but I could do this other thing for mom and dad that would be very pleasing, which one would you choose to do? The difficult task that you know is going to be pleasing to your parents because commanded by them, but it's going to involve a lot of risk and pain and hard work to you, or this easy thing that you think you ought to do. Which, which are you going to do? What do they do? God told us to drive out the heathens. Ah, that's a lot of prickles. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of pain. That requires me to believe in God and to do his commandments. But this other easy thing, look at these people. Wow, beautiful place, all sorts of fruits. These people don't even have a magistrate, no protection. They're out there all by themselves and they choose the cowardly route, the unbelieving route, the easy route, the low-hanging fruit. And they find this easy way supposedly promised by God's priest. God's going to go before us. Look. This is a confirmation of what our priest told us. You see, their minds are being darkened. They're being judged because they would not receive the love of the truth. Now notice verse 9. This is very interesting. What say ye, verse 8, they ask, when they come to give counsel with the rest of the tribe of Dan, and they said, Arise, that we may go up against them. Why didn't they say this about the inhabitants of the land? Why didn't they say, why are you so slothful? Let's go inherit what God gave us. Why didn't they say that? Well, because they didn't believe. They didn't believe in the promise of God. They didn't trust in him, and therefore they did not obey his commandments. 
Do you want to know, James says, O vain man, whether you have faith? You have to show it by your works, don't you? You can say you believe. The Danites could say that God was their God and he was blessing them and they want to inquire of him. How do you know if they actually believed? Did they obey his commandments? Did they do what he plainly laid out as his will for their life by commanding them to do specific things? No, but when they do their own inventions, oh boy, are they ready to do it. Arise, that we may go up against them. Stop sitting around being sluggish. Our inventions get us excited. When we make it up, it's oh so easy to be happy about. But when God commands it, it's so hard. I can't do it. We can't dispossess them. It's, it's so difficult. There are lots of thorns. It's going to take days of work. No, let's go over here and get the low-hanging fruit, the easy work. Let's do that. That's what they want. Oh, God has given this into your hands. See, it's, oh, it's, isn't it obvious? Look how easy it's going to be. That must be God. God doesn't make things hard. He loves you. He just has a wonderful plan for your life. You see the God that they serve? He's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, if you're going to reign with Christ, what must you do first? Suffer for him. There are going to be thorns. There's going to be a difficult way. It's going to require you to say no to yourself. Deny thyself, take up thy cross, and follow me, Jesus said. That's the same God right here in the book of Judges that the Danites despise. God had delivered the land into their hands. This land of Laish was not delivered by God except in his providence. God's providence can open doors to you that his law shuts in your face and says, don't go there. Which are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to God's providence? Oh, it seems so clear. The series of events make it so obvious that I should do this thing. And you hear God's law says, don't do that. Don't even go close to that. Stay away from, oh, but God, he opened this door for me. Maybe he opened a door for you to go to hell. Maybe he opened a door for you to destroy yourself and he's testing you to see, do you actually believe me? Will you actually do what I say instead of following your own imaginations? They don't think that through, do they? So they send forces to conquer Laish. And on the way, they just figure, hey, let's pick up some idols along the way. We'll go by Micah's house, get his gods and his priest, and then we'll set it up in our new land our new easy spurious inheritance with our spurious God, with our spurious priesthood, all at our devising. Now notice verse 14. There was, they say, in these houses, when we came by here, the five say this, there was in these houses an ephod and teraphim and a graven image and a molten image. The ephod was an imitation of the worship down in Shiloh, the lawful worship of God. They're copying it, in other words. Then they have teraphim. Now these are, as we've seen before, little saints and angels from bygone days. Maybe the archangels, maybe grandpa was a godly man. 
They made a little image out of these people, these saints who had gone before them. They had little images of, say, ancestors of angels, perhaps of some fantastic creature they made up. These were the teraphim. Okay? This is heathenism. Ancestor worship, saint worship, angel worship. These are all from heathenism. Now, the ephod is an imitation of God's lawful worship. Then notice they have a graven and a molten image. Some think they graved in wood and then they covered it with a molten part or the, the, uh, the metal, the silver. They took those pieces of silver, melted them down, and then covered the wooden image. So it's a graven and a molten image, in other words. That's contrary to the second commandment, isn't it? So you have a little bit of mock imitation of God's worship. You have a little bit of heathenism mixed in, and then you have an outright violation of God's moral law. Sound familiar? This is what man has done since time immemorial. Let me take the truth and mix it with some errors. Let me take the true worship of God and ape it and bring in some heathenism and go against God, but it's okay. We mean well. We're intended well. And here, notice, this man, he serves the true God. Do you remember that from chapter 17? It was Elohim that he was worshiping with his idols. The teraphim and the graven image and molten image, these are just, you know, several of them together. The true God and these other gods and the ancestors and the angels and all these mixed in. Now, therefore, they say, consider what ye have to do. Now, according to God, what is it that they have to do? Well, they should tear the house down. They should burn those houses with fire. And they should put all the people to the edge of the sword. You know, God told them to do that. That's how you get rid of this problem. Is that what they meant? Consider what ye have to do. Take these gods and make them your own. That's what they're, think that's what they're thinking. They're not going to do what God commanded. And so notice, verse 17, they took the graven image, the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. Now, if they are idolaters, why not be thieves too? If they're superstitious, why can't they be unjust? You know, these are born of the same whorish mother, right? The devil tells you that, well, you can worship how you please. He also tells you, you can steal so you can worship as you please. Okay? So if you're lawless in one, why not in the other? No big deal, right? And then notice how they appeal to the priest. Isn't it better for thee to be a priest under the house of one man? Isn't it in your self-interest? Now, this is how you know he's a belly server, a time server. Does he stick with Micah, who's done him so much good in a human way? No. He says, oh, wow, you're going to raise my salary? You're going to increase my pay. I'm going to be a public person to an entire tribe, not just a family priest. Whoa, his heart was glad, verse 20 tells us. The Dutch annotations, this is a sign that he really was a belly servant who did all for worldly honor and profit. And notice, now the priest, it says, he took the ephod. Remember, he was telling them, don't you do that. What do you, th what do you think you're doing? Now he takes them. He consents to the thievery. He consents to the spoiling of his supposed friend, Micah. 
He accepts their lawlessness and he consents to his wickedness and justifies it in his own mind. I note then that those idolatrous in the first table will easily justify other sins of the second table. Stealing? No problem. Betraying you? Oh, absolutely. Rape? No big deal. Murder? Had to be done. Any number of sins will be justified if you cast off the basic law, which is piety, what makes you think you can secure charity or the rights of men? If you will not recognize the rights of God, why would you recognize the rights of those created in his image? Doesn't make any sense, does it? Let us beware of idolatry both in ourselves and in others. Are there occasionally virtuous heathens? Yes, there are very rare and increasingly rare in our day, is to find a heathen, doesn't believe in Christ, doesn't trust in God's word, who has some vestige of virtue, but I'm telling you right now, they are very rare. Let us be on our watch. These men of Dan are a prime example, as is this false priest. You can't trust them. You can't leave your goods with them. You can't trust your chastity with them. You can't trust your name with them because they don't fear God. Notice, they put the little ones, the cattle and the carriages before them. The men of Dan are doing this with their families, scandalizing their little children with their idolatry and lawlessness. Now, Micah then hears of all this, and he brings his friends and neighbors and comes to rebuke them. And they ask him a question in verse 23. What aileth thee that thou comest, comest with such a company? What are you sick about? What are you whining about? Now they knew this. They knew what ailed him. This is a taunt. This is not intended to be answered. It's intended to rub his nose in it. What are you, you going to do about it? What can you do against such a power as we have? An arrogant taunt. There was nothing Micah could do, and they knew it. And why would, they, why would he have expected that these idolaters like he is would somehow honor his gods or his property or his priests? He says to them, ye have taken away my gods, which I made. Now this word gods, Elohai, means those superhuman beings or God himself. It can be a plural of emphasis, God, the God of gods, in other words. Or it can refer to little deities, teraphim, images of God and of angels or of saints, ancestors. It seems that he's referring to all of the above. The true God, he thought, perhaps was his graven image, and the rest were the teraphim. You've taken all my gods that I made. Notice, I made. Verse 24, and what have I more? Is there anything else that really means anything in my life? My gods are everything to me. They're my chief possession. Without these, I have nothing. 
Athanasius, the church father, argues that men should not, he says, give to the image greater honor than to the man that carved it. So who is really more honorable? The image that's stolen or this man Micah who made the gods? Athanasius says, well, the man who made the gods, right? What is the image? It's dumb stuff, isn't it? Wood, silver, maybe some stone, who knows? Is that rational? Is that, does that have the power to carve mica into an image? No, it just sits there, doesn't it? That's all it is, just an image. So Athanasius says, you should give not to the image the honor, you should give it to your carvers. That's who you should really honor. You should bow before your artists. For if there be any truth in the plea, that as letters they indicate the manifestation of God and are therefore as indications of God worthy to be deified, yet far more would it be right to deify the artist who carved and engraved them as being far more powerful and divine than they, inasmuch as they were cut and fashioned according to his will. So why don't you honor yourself, Micah? Why don't you bow before yourself? After all, you made the images. God made you, Athanasius will later argue, God made you, who's the greater, shouldn't you honor man instead of, and who made the deer, who made the snake, who made the elephant? Well, God did. Shouldn't you honor them instead of the work of your own hands? So he argues, all images are absurd. You should only worship God himself. You should not be using graven images. And so Micah, he should not be honoring those things that he himself made, nor should he consider them his chief possession. The Danites, however, they have no interest in listening to his arguments. You think they want to dialogue about this? They want a rational discussion? Of course not. You're going to lose your life if you keep piping up, shut up or we'll kill you, and we'll kill your entire family. So just keep quiet and go away. That's what they say. Death is threatened for seeking to recover his goods, or so he saw them. They were really not goods. They were evil. They were wicked. They were to be detested and destroyed. And they don't say, you know, you're such an idolater, you should lose your life. Because what are they doing? Well, we want your idols more than you do, so we'll kill you if you try to take them back. Notice here, one household falls to idolatry, what's next? One tribe falls to idolatry, what's next? The whole nation falls to idolatry. You know what this is doing? It's telling us how we got to the position of having the judges in the first place. How did they get to total national apostasy? Well, it's just one family, right? It's just me and my house, what difference can we make? Is that what God says? He says, do your duty and leave the results to me. Don't you worry about the results because sometimes you can find here are the results. One idolatrous family, next a whole idolatrous group or tribe. Micah sees that they are too strong for him. What's he going to do? Kill himself? So he turns and goes back to his house. This was perhaps the better part of wisdom here. Don't lose your life and the life of your household for what? Your false gods? Big deal. So the men of Dan take these remnants and monuments to idolatry. They go up to Laish and guess what? 
everything goes well. Everything goes according to their plan. They burn the city. They smite the edge of the city with fire. They build their own city. They set up the graven image that obviously gave them the success, right? You see again God blinding their minds. They have worldly prosperity and success while they violate the law of Almighty God and they think things are going great. Their minds are darkened in judgment for their, their former sins. This is the black chain of reprobation, where a person is encouraged in their idolatry, not with the law of God, not with the promises of salvation, not with the hope of eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ, but by God making their way easy, by things being pleasant and pleasurable. As we'll see the false teachers in 2 Peter chapter 2, they promise men prosperity and ease. They promise them pleasure. They don't need to listen to all that commandment stuff. After all, Jesus died upon the cross. God redeemed us with the blood of the lamb. We're good. We can live as we please. And so they prosper, attributing the victory to their idols, confirming them in the judgment of Almighty God, one step downward after another. Let us beware of confirming ourselves in our wickedness by the course of providence rather than directing ourselves by God's precepts. And thus far, the explanation of Judges chapter 18.